0: Okay, podcast going, video going, maybe, 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 maybe. What's up guys, gals, everybody, players, pimps, listen. Alright, hey, it's Big John on Americana, the American way. So, found some interesting stuff today, Um, listening to podcasts and kind of, yet another snowy day cheer in Ohio and uh, so I didn't get out much and wasn't expecting the snow today actually but anyways sometimes winter in the northern hemisphere just does that especially when you live uh, in the upper Midwest Ohio snow just comes from out of nowhere <clears throat> so luckily, I flipped on my phone and saw the forecast. Uh I found out we were going to get another, you know, one to three inches of snow. Right about the time I was going to go uh, to work, so I didn't go to work. I stayed home. But anyhow. Uh listening to the Joe Rogan podcast. Uh I found out this cool thing called uh the Climatic Optima, which is uh very interesting uh period in the Earth's climate. Got a guy on there named uh Randall Carlson. If you ever get a chance look up the JRE podcast and Randall Carlson he has a lot of interesting information. I'm going to talk about the climatic optimum. And also, uh, earlier this morning, uh, watching Steven Crowder, there was a little... Uh, there. Were, he was talking about this uh, lady, and she's not really the important part of what I want to talk about, but... Uh, she talked about the effects of... The effects the pandemic had on other people. She's a doctor. And uh, I forget the name of her podcast. It doesn't matter. what uh, so I'm going to talk about is more important. But, you know, she was talking about how uh, at first she was all into the pandemic. And she, you know, sprayed Lysol on her cans of Pringles and took her clothes off as soon as she got home. Because, you know, Dr. Falsey was telling people, Oh, it, you know, man, American germs is going to be everywhere. We all going to die. And uh, just like he told people that children would catch AIDS by touching household items in the 80s, Dr. Falsey. Uh Anyhow, but uh, she brought up, you know, the, the heightened uh, amount of alcoholism, Suicides and self harm by teenage girls, uh, generally known as cutting. Girls cutting themselves on the arm, just not, not slitting their wrists, but cutting their forearms or wherever to inflict harm on themselves when they're depressed or anxious. Very sad. And, uh, Someplace else I heard about uh, an event that, that happens at the Playboy Mansion called Pig Night. Uh, oh, I was watching a Holly Madison video on YouTube. I've gotten a lot more respect for her uh, as I've watched her YouTube channel. And then tonight the A&E Network had a two hour special debut of... Uh, the life at the Playboy Mansion. What's it called? I wrote. I took some notes during the show. Uh, secrets of the Playboy Mansion, or no, just Secrets of Playboy. The first episode was called uh, Legacy, and then the second episode focused on Holly and the Girls Next Door television show. And then it's a nine-part series that's going to air every Monday at either 9 or 10 p.m. on A&E. So look that up. It was very, very interesting. And they did a lot to show both sides of things. So I'm going to go over some of the notes that I wrote down about during the show. And uh, also talk about... I found an article about Pig Night. Uh, online so you can find me on social media on twitter gab and getter at the real underscore big john i'm on parlor at the real big john all one word and of course on rumble and all the podcasting platforms it is americana the american way and i'm gonna light up And let you listen to some guitar solos and some sound bites and whatever the heck else I have on my Instagram. Our new NBC News poll suggests Mr. Biden does need a reset. Because he's lost his identity a bit. He's no longer seen as competent and effective. He's no longer seen as a good commander-in-chief or perhaps most damaging, as easygoing and likable. In fact, just 5% of adults... listen to a damn drunk that talks to himself. change and global warming shoved in our faces. Uh, This Randall Carlson pointed something out that that was a notion that if you brought up in the 50s and 40s and in the some of the 60s, you would have been laughed at. Nobody cared. And... He said that the Earth's climate has gone through so many changes over time that it's foolish to think that man, in its last 100 years of industrialization, has changed the climate of the Earth. And at first, I'm like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. And he, he talked about a lot of good things. He showed, a, um, excuse me, uh, the proof that there have been great floods on the earth uh, as in Noah and the Bible uh, he claims to be a Christian and he talks about God and talks about being in the Masons um, but I don't want to get into that uh, and he brought up this term called Climatic optimum, which to me it sounds like um, to somebody that doesn't know anything like myself, it sounds like this is the optimum climate of the Earth. But what it's talking about is that there are times in the Earth's per- the Earth's history uh, where we've ex they, we've experienced uh, higher temperatures than any other time in history uh, and we're talking like medieval times and they went back through uh, geological history and through uh, recorded history and I'll read a little from this uh, college, this uh, research paper, I shouldn't say college paper, let me get up here, I passed by the author and title of it, so Medieval Climatic Optimum uh, by Michael E. Mann, Uh, Volume 1, The Earth System, Physical and Chemical Dimensions of Global Environmental Change, uh, pages, 514 through 516. Uh, It says edited by Dr. Michael McCracken and Dr. John Perry. Encyclopedia of Global and Environmental Change. Editor-in-Chief Ted Munn. Okay. So... mr michael mann university of virginia charlottesville virginia u.s of a uh, the first paragraph here goes into medieval climactic optimum also known as the little climactic optimum medieval warm period or medieval warm epic it refers to a period of climatic history during which temperatures in Europe and neighboring regions of the North Atlantic are believed to have been comparable to or have exceeded those of the late twentieth century. so you know how in all his uh, documentaries Al Gore says, you know uh, 10 of the last, uh, ten of the hottest years out of the last 100 have been in the last 10 year, in the last twenty years." Well, there's a lot more climate history to this planet than just the last 100 years. Uh, And they do it through uh, geological um, core samples, that's what I'm trying to say, soil samples, samples from um, glaciers, and also through records of uh, what types and how much fruit was harvested in a particular growing season. Okay, so this period is conventionally believed to have occurred from approximately 900 to 1300 AD. So that's a 400 year period, terminating with the more moderate conditions of the 15th century and the Little Ice Age which impacted Europe during the sixteenth, mid nineteenth centuries. The medieval climactic optimum believes to or appears to have been a large part of a feature of North the North Atlantic and neighboring regions. Indeed, when Lamb, nineteen sixty five, coined the term medieval warm epoch, it was based on evidence largely from Europe and parts of North America regional temperature patterns elsewhere over the globe show equivocal evidence of anomalous warmth C Wigley et uh, well C Wigley 1981 Hughes and Diaz 1984 and as Lamb 1965 noted Episodes of both cooler as well as warmer conditions are likely to have uh, punctuated this period. It is evident that Europe experienced, on a whole, relatively mild conditions during the earliest centuries of the second millennium than is currently possible in many regions. There are numerous anecdotal reports, of especially bountiful harvests, because they had a longer growing season. The, you know, if you have a longer growing season, you're going to have a bigger harvest. If you have more warm weather and rainy weather than you do cold and snowy weather, you're going to have bigger harvests. Uh, documented yields of grain. Throughout Europe during this interval of time, grapes were grown in England several hundred kilometers north of their current growing, uh, pardon me, several hundred kilometers north of their current limits of growth, and subtropical flora such as fig trees and olive trees grew in regions of Europe, northern Italy, and parts of Germany. Well, north of their current range. Geological evidence indicates that mountain glaciers throughout Europe retreated substantially at the time. Relative to glacial advances of later centuries, uh, and it cites Grove and Switzer, 1994. Switzer is spelled SW. I-T-S-U-R. A host of historical documentary proxy information such as records of frost dates, freezing of, body, of water bodies, and duration of snow cover and geological evidence e.g. the dates of flowering of plants indicate that severe winters were less frequent and less extreme at times during the period about 900 to 1300 AD in Central Europe. So what this is blowing out of the water is the theory that the last 50 years of warmer temperatures, warming of the earth are the fault of humanoids. And that was the point that Randall, uh, what did I say his name was? Randall Carlson made that our current climate alarmists are stuck in the 1960s and 70s way of thinking. And frankly, uh, do you really trust Al Gore? And some of these other celebrities that fly around on the biggest uh, gas guzzling or jet fuel guzzling private jets to these events. Where they sit and complain to the rest of us and lecture the rest of us on (laughs) how the earth is uh, supposed to be according to them. Um, I still believe God is in charge and I'm not going to stray from that but this brings up an interesting point scientifically that the Earth's climate is not as predictable as the information and evidence that Al Gore and and I just pick on him because I don't like him uh, all the climate alarmists are using right now that's what this is uh, proving so I'm not saying we need to trash the environment Um, I don't think that the air that we're breathing is good for us. I'll go on record as saying that, uh, coming from uh, an area with uh, some of the highest uh, cancer rates in America per capita, um, I think that you know we need to take a look at the environment. Uh, I think, you know, truthfully, you should be able to stick your face into any fresh body. Well, that's not true, because even before we were polluting our water with chemicals and toxic waste and shit, uh, it wasn't always safe to drink the water. But uh, I think, you know, we should have clean lakes and streams and rivers, uh, aside from any natural contaminants that get in there like you know deer and fish poop <laughs> okay so uh, a different take you can look that up climactic optimum see what you think of it well let's get this rolling uh they were they were bashing a lady who was talking about the uh, effects the pandemic has had on other people had on people and they attacked her personally without having her on their show, they just had a quack and two other commentators there talking smack about her. But she brought up, uh, well, they were saying that she's complaining because the uh, pandemic has inconvenienced her. Oh, she's just complaining of some minor inconveniences. Well, no, she's talking about, you know, suicide rates are, are up because people are locked in their houses and they're going crazy. Alcoholism, drug abuse, uh, self-injurious behavior, especially among uh, teen girls, is way up. So this... um Website called VeryWellMind.com has a article says the it says pandemic significantly affected mental health of teen girls study shows and I've said before uh, and this pandemic's only worsened it evidently that teen. teenagers today this is scientifically proven they have more anxiety than mental patients of the 1950's and there are a lot of factors in that this uh, evidence came to light way before the pandemic but kids are under so much pressure, you know, uh, uh, my generation, we had the Cold War looming over our heads still in the 1980s, any day now, the Ruskies were going to invade, oh, good grief, Uh, you know, oh, the United States and and, uh, Russia have enough atomic bombs to blow up the world ten times over, and... The um, you know this is what I was taught in school. The American versus Soviet policy was called mutually assured destruction. If you launch our atomic your atomic bombs, we'll launch ours and we'll just wipe each other out. Uh, and that was the policy. Oh, and then you know, of course, we had uh, you know you had to have the right grades or you you weren't gonna get into college and you weren't gonna amount to anything. Uh, You had to have the right clothing. You you know, you had to have all these things and it was shoved up your wazoo uh, by television shows we all watch too much television. Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm getting old, that's what I say. Uh, But now I think it's been worsened by social media in the last 10 or 20 years because everybody puts on their best fake face and pretends to be what they're not on Instagram and Facebook, uh, and some people do talk about their depression and their problems and how much they hate themselves and the world. But uh, for kids, you know, this being locked inside, mandatorily, mandatory, and not being able to go out and socialize and be a kid when they are the least vulnerable to getting sick. But the excuse that the government has give governments, because it's not just the American government, but the excuse that governments give you is, well, you know, you kiddies, you you might have a strong immune system, but grandma doesn't. So if you bring COVID into your house, you're going to kill grandma. Like these kids didn't have enough problems. So they're locked inside without any social interaction except social media. And this article says, uh, t- key takeaways. New study found that the mental health of teen girls may have disproportionately may have been pardon me disproportionately affected by the COVID-19 pandemic surprisingly substance abuse dropped amongst 15 to 18 year olds in the study disconnection from friends changes in routine and isolation are all partly to blame while the stress and isolation of the pandemic spared no one It has had disproportionate detrimental impact on the mental health of teen girls. A new study in the Lancet Psychiatry has found, using 59,000 responses, wow, from surveys on Icelandic teens, researchers found, that's teens in Iceland, but I'm sure it applies in everywhere fifty-nine thousand is a huge pool. Researchers found that rates of depression and worsened mental well-being increased among both adolescent boys and girls during the pandemic compared to earlier levels, but girls were significantly more affected. However, data shows that substance abuse already said this from 15 to 18 dropped well, yeah, because they couldn't get out and go to parties and go to their drug dealer. Let's take a closer look. Uh, the article says, "This study, it, for this study, researchers set out to understand how the pandemic affected mental health problems and substance use among adolescents of different ages and genders, using data from youth in Iceland." from the Youth in Iceland study. So the study invites all teenagers up to 18 in Iceland to complete the survey every two years. Researchers looked at a total of 59,701 survey responses collected in 2016, 18, and 2020. Participants included roughly equal numbers of boys and girls, most of whom lived in two parent homes in the capital area of Reykjavik. Uh, The results showed depressive symptoms and mental well-being got worse among adolescents in 2020 compared with pre-pandemic levels. And, you know, we're going to look back at this pandemic period and say how bad did we hurt ourselves Uh, among all age groups, uh, self-injuring behavior like alcoholism, obviously suicide. Uh, I mean, suicide is obviously a self-injurious behavior, Um, you know. Just hurting yourself for the sake of causing damage and pain to your body has all gone up during this period, and it all started with a false narrative from uh, a university in in England, from a doctor who's been known to over uh, overestimate results of. Uh, disease and sickness and pandemics, and, you know, he said, you know, like, two million people in the United States were going to die in, like, the first few months or year. Uh, A lot of people have died with COVID, but not from COVID, Uh, but the whole, you know, lock everything down, lock everyone up has hurt people mentally, and caused them to hurt themselves physically. And surprisingly, the places with the, the worst, uh, or the strictest lockdowns, and strictest mask mandates, and strictest vaccine mandates, are really getting hit just as hard as everywhere else with this. Uh, you know, I have a, had some people say that the, these virus particles are so small, they go through these masks that we've all been told to wear. Even if you get the triple-layer surgical mask, uh, really the mask is just stopping droplets from coming out. I know I've been through this before. Uh, let me get back to this article and inject my opinion. People between 16 and 18 years old were more negatively affected than teenagers during the pandemic. Younger, pardon me, more negatively affected than younger teenagers during the pandemic, which may have at least partly been partly a result of disruptions in education. Teens 13 to 15 continued to attend school in person. Older students typically switched to remote learning in Iceland. So imagine what it did to those 13 to 15-year-olds in other countries where, like in the United States, we pretty much all went to remote learning at some point. Uh, at least most of the year 2020, and all of the year 2020 really, uh, and then slowly start coming back in in the fall of 2020. Took some, you know, some schools shut down right after they opened up because there was a an outbreak of uh, COVID uh, and things like that, where schools that didn't have good social distancing and masking uh, measurements in place. And I'm all for social distancing. I don't even mind the mask so much. Uh, In fact, I wish we would social distance all the frickin' time. But anyhow. uh, The authors noted that older teenagers tend... uh, tend to have... Higher need for autonomy and peer interaction, both of which were limited under lockdowns and physical distancing mandates than younger adolescents. Uh, developmentally, teens are seeking independence, peer connections. When I say independence, they mean ind- I think they mean independence from their parents because you know you're not independent if you're uh, connecting with your peers. So anyways, uh, they have a need for greater self-expression as they formulate their identities, explains Dr. Rebecca uh, Roulier, R-O-U-L-I-E-R, Deputy Director of Doc Wayne Youth Services in Boston. Youth Services. However, the reduction in social experiences increased independence on the family unit, and created loss of milestones like first jobs or graduation celebrations, which has overwhelmed most teens' ability to cope. So, you can see where, you know, this would go a long way to hurting uh, kids mentally. And sometimes when uh, kids, especially teen girls for some reason, They'll they'll start harming themselves when they can't find any other way of, you know, getting the anxiety or the uh, depression or, you know, frustration out when they're isolated. It's a very scary thing. Uh, So this pandemic, you know, after the first six months, I was yelling, open it back up, open the economy up, protect the elderly. That's fine. But let the rest of us go back to our lives. You know, they now have said uh, in the United States, like 85% of the people that died of COVID had uh, four or more comorbidities or pre-existing health conditions, underlying health conditions. So... I think this pandemic has been more of a threat to our mental health and our anxiety and stress with the constant media lie, government and media lies. Uh, this little prick Fauci that just, this is his life's goal. Is, man, the guy's done nothing for 40 years. You know, after the, the AIDS epidemic got settled in and the science said, hey, Doc Fauci, you're a freaking moron you're telling people the wrong thing. And he had to sit at his desk and twiddle his thumbs and you know, give grants to scientists that tortured pump puppies and monkeys. Uh, and now, suddenly, he's relevant again in his 80s, and he gets to be on TV. And the guy's, like, tiny. He can barely see over the podium at press conferences. So he's obviously got Napoleonic Syndrome... And uh, he's causing kids to hurt themselves, have greater anxiety, depression, causing people of all ages, I'm speaking of the United States, of course, he doesn't, fal- false, he doesn't rule the world. Um, but this guy has caused a lot of problems and a lot of pain. The governments, the media have caused a lot of people a lot of pain That's going to stick with them far into the future, when this virus has run its course and is either a weak cold, or weak flu, or just goes away because of our immune system's natural defenses. So this is terrible. This this upsets me that you know teenagers young women people in general but are suffering from this and we've known since the middle of 2020 really that unless you're morbidly obese like myself unless you have uncontrolled high blood pressure which my blood pressure is under control uh, unless you have uncontrolled diabetes which mine is under control so, I have one comorbidity. I need three more to die from coronavirus. That's what basically we found out. Now, there have been some perfectly healthy people, at least people that seem perfectly healthy, they've gotten extremely sick and died. A lot of people early on died because hospitals put them on ventilators too early in their treatment. And a lot of people at least 500,000 died because they were denied hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin as treatments. They weren't given hydroxychloroquine until they were admitted to the hospital, which at that point was too late. But if given early in the disease, it can treat uh, and stop viral replication. Proven fact. But, I hope when all that was done in the dark is brought to the light, some people go to jail for this. If not, they'll probably go to hell on Judgment Day. So, alright, let's uh, move on to something else uh, depressing. People come to realize that maybe Hugh Hefner wasn't playing with the full deck. Uh in this A and E documentary, it's a nine parter, and I think this is going to rival the uh, R Kelly surviving R. Kelly series for ratings and for impact in culture. Uh, the new owners of Playboy. Uh, said that they have verified the stories of the women in this documentary and that they are no longer associated with the Hefner family, which uh, Hef had always had it set up so that his sons would uh, inherit, his sons, and I think he had a daughter too, would get the magazine and take it over. And uh, evidently they sold it the rights off to other people. But uh, episode one was called Legacy. And I'm just going to go through my notes here so I'm not off on a a tangent or a side... side sidekick or something. Uh, Right at at the beginning, uh, the women that lived there uh, in the 70s and 80s or who were in his life at that time said that looking back they feel like he was the devil or he was a monster and they admit at the time they lived at the mansion they felt at home they felt freedom there but looking back, there was a lot of control there, uh, about the, in regard to the Playboy Mansion itself, it was, uh, a, like a paradise, uh, it was a place of freedom, you could be whatever you wanted, do whatever you wanted, uh, so people said you could be who you wanted to be, um, one of the waiters there, or employees there, said that Hef drank about 30 Pepsis a day and ate something like 30 pounds of M&M's. I don't think you can eat 30 pounds of M&M's in a day. So maybe he was talking about in a week or over some time span. I just don't think that's physically possible in one day. But I don't know. Uh, Anyways, uh, the staff were not allowed to talk to the girls. The staff worked for Heff. They were not friends with the girls. Uh, Heff himself said in an interview. It looked like it was from the 70s or 80s because he was looked. He's, let's see. He started the magazine in 57, so in the 80s he would have been um, wow. In the 1980s he would have been 67, uh, and he honestly he was kind of an ugly guy you know except for when he was like really young in the 50s and 60s he was pretty good looking but anyhow um, he said it in an interview nonetheless that quote my life is an invention a marketing ploy end quote so everything about him what he admits was fake It was all a facade, a dog and pony show uh, imagination that he built up. And I think it was in the second episode, a friend of his talked about uh, how Hef was awkward with girls. In the first episode, they talked about his uh, parents had a strict religious uh, way of raising him and his brother, and that, you know, he didn't get a lot of hugs as a child, and much attention as a child, uh, but anyways, his friend said when this girl turned him down, uh, when he invited her to go for a hayride, it, when the hell would that have been, the 30s, yeah, he grew up in like the roaring 20s, and wanted to be one of the people that roared, evidently. Uh, And then he joined the army. It may have been World War II or Korean War era. I'm not sure. Uh, But he was in the military. But anyways, after he got rejected for this hayride, let me stay on point. Uh, His best friend said that Hef changed his life. He created a fake persona and different way of living... Uh, different attitude. Uh, He reinvented himself. uh, And he became, quote on, air quotes, the playboy. Um, So, uh, the show goes on to talk about everything you heard, or one of the girls said, everything you heard about Hef, is what his PR firm wanted you to hear. Now, on a good side, uh, Hef was supposedly into civil rights and equality. Uh, there was a Playboy television show that debuted uh, in the ni- late 1950s, or maybe nineteen six I don't know, somewhere in there. And it was just all about, you know, him hanging out with his buddies, smoking his pipe, and interviewing celebrities, and he would have African-American celebrities on there mingling with the white celebrities. Because it was just like a TV show about just hanging out. And you got to watch Hef and his friends hang out with celebs and beautiful women. And in those days they might have a black singer or black comedian or black performer on a variety show. Nowadays we would call them talk shows or late night talk shows. But the black celebrity entertainer would come out do their performance and be hustled off to the side. And Heff's show wasn't like that. The black entertainers, musicians, whatever, hung out with and mingled with the whites. Uh, when he had his parties at his original mansion in Chicago and then the mansion in Los Angeles, Well, by the time he bought the mansion in Los Angeles, it was uh, civil segregation and stuff. It was the 1970s, so there's still a lot of racism, but a little less segregation. But nonetheless, black celebrities, black people were allowed to mix and mingle with white men, white women, and all that in Hef's world, if there was a good thing about the guy. Um, He said he was for empowering women uh, the women thought he was... or bought into it. Uh, later, they realized they were commodities. Like, when he was hanging out with his friends, he had this thing for backgammon, which is some kind of betting game I don't get. It's a it's a rich, honky, yuppie, white thing, and I ain't fucking into that shit. Um, but anyways, when he would be hanging out with his friends, playing his game backgammon Uh, the girls weren't allowed to talk to the guys, they weren't allowed to bother him and his guy friends, they could sit on the other side of the room, they could be in the room for eye candy but they weren't allowed to talk to him and his friends when uh, it was guys, it's man time now, time for us manly men to do manly things and just us manly men yikes Soikes shaggy doo! Uh, or actually, Zoic, Scooby-Doo, <clears throat> as Shaggy would say. <coughs> Anyhow, <laughs> manly men doing manly things to other manly men in the Playboy Mansion. <laughs> oh, boy. So, <laughs> uh there were women that wanted to write books and do interviews uh and talk about their experiences in the mansion and one was a, a lady that grew up there i mean from the time she was a little kid uh all the way up to her 20s when she could move out and she wrote a tell all book a lot of years ago and he he asked her you know about the book you know they found out about it he had a team of people that would read these books that other that uh, playmates or friends or different people would write, and it was their that team's job to get those books banned, kiboshed, you know, kept out of stores and libraries and uh to debunk what was in there. Uh this one lady she had like ten interviews lined up in New York City and Hef asked her to fax him. Uh, a name or a list of the interviews. And when she got to New York, one by one, every interview canceled on her. So he would use his power, influence, and connections to silence women who wanted to speak out about what went on at the mansion. A lot of the Los Angeles cops were... Uh, bouncers uh, at his parties. So he had them under his thumb. Uh, and he would invite the press into his parties so that he could compromise the reporters, you know, hanging out, doing drugs, this and that, uh, so that he could use that against them. And he had the place. Wall to wall with cameras, hidden cameras, hidden microphones, so he could eavesdrop and spy on anyone he wanted to uh, at any given time. If, you know, maybe you were a playmate living there and you didn't like what was going on and you wanted to confide in someone else, he could get you on tape or on video. He would have everybody on video or on recording doing drugs illicit sexual activities all sorts of things that he could use against them if they ever tried to uh come out against him and tell the you know the dirty little secrets of the mansion uh you know he had information and things of blackmail information on celebrities you know uh bill cosby as uh famously or infamously Alleged to have sexually assaulted people at the mansion. Uh, they had a, a cleanup team to cover things up, keep things quiet. You know, protect that reputation because, as he said, you know, my life is an invention, a marketing ploy, and that's where his money came from. That was his life. Uh, you know, he wanted to be around beautiful women. Hey, I'm a guy. We all do, but he took it to an extreme where he would, I guess, be on the ready to uh, extort people, you know, and, you know, there are stories that playmates overdosed and it got covered up. There were suicides uh, that were covered up. Um, well, not really covered up because it was in the, the newspapers, but girls uh, committing suicide. And, you know, that happens everywhere and in life, you know, drug overdoses happen everywhere um, so you know the people that were in that inner circle were probably you know more affected and think that it was related more to him than you know the suicide or overdoses that happen out in society, or maybe some of these things uh he did and said to girls really. Hurt their their mindset. They hurt them mentally. Um, so that was like episode one. The, the takeaways I had from it. Um, episode two focused on the TV show The Girls Next Door and mainly Holly Madison. And you know, I've had mixed thoughts and feelings. I don't know her, so I shouldn't have any thoughts or feelings about her. But in the social media world, you see into people's private lives and they expose themselves so much Um, and a lot of people had a lot of good things to say about Holly and how she cared for Hef at the mansion and she's really been scarred for life by the way uh, he treated her and tried to keep her under his thumb Uh, and eventually she worked her way into where she could be independent and move on um uh she she said oh, one one thing she I don't know if she's self-diagnosed or if she's found this out uh, if she's confirmed it through treatments but her ex-husband was uh asking her mother um like why can't I connect with Holly did is there something wrong that I need to know about And her mom said, yeah, she has Asperger's. And um, then Holly says in this documentary, episode two, that um, she went online and looked up Asperger's and she had all the symptoms. Uh, And yeah, there's times when you're watching her being interviewed and she does kind of seem that way. And the thing is, people with Asperger's autism are very, very intelligent, um, so I gained a little new level of respect for her for uh that having asperger's autism um, but it, it talked she talked about the first night she went out with Heff and the other girlfriends, and there were like seven and talked about how heff would always be taking pictures of the girls when they were drunk and doing sexual things and nudity and she felt like he had blackmail porn on her. Uh, there was actually a camera in his bedroom and probably more than one and when pressed why do you have a camera in your bedroom he would say well something might happen in there that I want to record. <laughs> so basically, ugh, gross, um, you know, she felt like he had blackmail porn against her. This is all from the second episode on A&E, uh, the documentary, Secrets of Playboy. Okay, so the first night she went out with Hef and the other girlfriends, uh, they came back to the mansion. And it was kind of like uh, mechanical sex with Hef," she said. "That it was like, okay, now you, you know, all of you come to the bedroom. Okay, you are going to have sex with me first, and then you, and then you, and then you. It wasn't like romance, like he portrayed, or like it was portrayed uh, in his life. Um, a lot of people said that you know he never had sex with the girlfriends, that it was all part of the, uh, mystique, and they were just to pretend. But evidently, uh, according to her, he would have sex with her and other girls, with other girls in the room. Uh, and he, Holly said Wednesday and Friday nights were, uh, club nights, and they would go out to the club, and then on those nights, it was expected that her, Bridget, and Kendra had the other two girls next door, uh, television cast members, um, have sex with him while the others were in the room. Um, but uh, she you know, said you know, because she had trouble connecting with people... She wanted to be famous. She wanted to use Playboy to become famous. Uh, some of Heff's friends, close friends, uh, his personal photographer and the photographer's wife, and another friend that uh, worked at the mansion they they every time Hollywood would say something negative or Bridget, the other, one of the other girls next door would come on and say something about Heff. Uh, there would be a rebuttal from these people. And, you know, people say, hey, you lived at the Playboy Mansion, you signed up for this, you knew what you were signing up for, you know, deal with it. Uh, and the wife of Heff's photographer, and I guess the wife was a photographer too, she said when Holly first started hanging out at the mansion, that she would ask this lady, well, how do I get closer to half?" Holly would ask. She would say, how do I become a girlfriend and stuff like that? And Holly had uh, a nose job and a boob job, which Hef paid for. Of course he would. That's his thing. You know, taking care of women. You know, so that he could use it against them. But, you know, these people ridiculed her for that, and she always felt bad about herself. And early on when, and I thought she was cute before the plastic surgeries, uh, they showed photos of her pre-nose job, pre-boob job, and she was always a cute girl, Uh, but anyways, Early on in their friendship, when she started hanging out and became one of the seven girlfriends and then worked her way up to being the number one, uh, Hef told her, or she asked Hef, can I be a playmate? Can I be in the magazine? And he said, no, you're not photogenic enough. And then that led to the boob job and the nose job. But his friends turned it around on Holly. Well. She wanted plastic surgery to her nose and her breast, and he paid for it for her. Yeah, that's what uh, narcissists do. Uh, and and Heff's really small, too, by the way, in stature, height, weight, maybe a little Napoleon syndrome, maybe a little man syndrome. I don't know. Um, so, um uh, when she first came to the mansion, she would come to the Sunday uh, afternoon pool parties, and she thought it was like a big friendship place and a fraternity where she, sh- where she could connect with people. Uh, and then, of course, over time, uh, you know, Hef got more controlling of her and more possessive and things like that. <clears throat> um, his other friend said that he just loved women, he just loved women so much, and that he wasn't a narcissist, he wasn't a control freak, he was not uh, emotionally abusive, but Bridget Marquot said that, you know, one time he he yelled at Holly for wearing red lipstick, and how he didn't like red lipstick, but yet Other girls that were out with them that day had on red lipstick, and they didn't get yelled at. But I reckon when you're the number one, it's a different set of rules. And they had a lot of rules. Like, they couldn't have friends over. They couldn't hang out with other guy friends. Uh, They had to be back in the mansion by 9 p.m., Um, They got $1,000 a week to live there. Uh, And uh, all the girls that lived at the mansion and the house across the street, I guess, got this $1,000. This is from other articles I've read. uh, Got this $1,000 a week. And he would go to his personal safe and pull out stacks of $100 bills and count them out. And say, well, I didn't like the way you had your makeup the other day. Maybe you shouldn't get your allowance. And say it in front of the other girls. I mean, that's really cruel. But you know, his defenders will say, "This is what you signed up for. Why are you complaining?" I don't know. Just not, 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 not good in my book. Not, no. Sorry. Um, I already mentioned there was a disclaimer at the begin- at the beginning of the show uh, the new owners you know admit uh, that there were sexual improprieties at the mansion um, they validate the stories of the girls and they have nothing to do with the Hefner family anymore. <clears throat> the word cult. Kept coming up uh, in both episodes. Uh, a lot of the f- women that lived there, old girlfriends, said they felt like it was a cult, like you get lured in, you get babied and respected and treated with love and attention at first, and then you get treated with control. Um, that's really a scary word and a scary thought. And the interviewer in this documentary asked Holly, were you ever in love with Hef? And she says she thought she was in love, but it was really Stockholm Syndrome. And the interviewer pressed her, what do you mean by Stockholm Syndrome? And she explained Stockholm Syndrome to the interviewer. So she definitely knows what she 's talking about, and uh frankly, from watching you know holly madison 's YouTube channel uh, and watching this documentary i've really gotten a new level of respect for her and then finding out she has asperger 's autism, uh, that gave me a new level of respect and if you watch Elon Musk or if you watched the um, Kyle Rittenhouse trial, and uh, one of the attorneys that was the pro- one of the prosecuting attorneys was destroyed by an autistic witness he was questioning, and he kept trying to trap the witness. And people with Asperger's autism uh, are incapable of lying, almost incapable of lying. I'm not saying there can't be a few that slip through that will lie I'm not saying that but they are honest to a fault like they just their brains are wired in some way that you'll try to convince them to lie or that they are lying and they'll be like no this is the truth it's just amazing I love autistic people and down syndrome uh, people, and people with mentally mentally handicapped, which Asperger's is way at the high-functioning, intelligent uh, end of the spectrum of autism. Uh, a lot of your celebrities, like Dan Aykroyd, have Asperger's. Elon Musk has Asperger's. And Holly kind of reminded me a lot of him. Uh, I was watching a thing with Elon Musk. And he said, you know, he really wanted a job at Netscape. That was like one of the early internet uh, search engines. And he went to the... He sent them the resume. He went to the lobby. And he was too afraid to talk to anyone. So he just went and started his own business. (laughs) So, um, but... One of the uh, secrets of the Playboy Mansion, uh, it wasn't talked about in this documentary, but Holly brought it up on her YouTube uh, today, and this got me uh, to want to do this as part of my podcast tonight, and she brought up a thing called Pig Night at the Playboy Mansion, and... What this was, the mansion would be crawling with hookers and celebs on 30, or Thursday nights, not 30 nights, on Thursday nights back in its heyday. This is talking about the the uh, 1970s. The documentary claims Hefner himself cooked up the weekly event. Hef dubbed the tradition "Pig Night," and it started with two pimps. Bringing in carloads of prostitutes from Sunset Boulevard, according to his former girlfriend Sandra Theodore and two others who worked at the mansion. Sandra Theodore is a beautiful lady. Uh, Sandra says she tended to look the other way while Hugh did all sorts of crazy stuff, crazy stuff in quotes. But the ritual stood out to her and got her attention. Uh, And then it goes into upcoming A&E series, Secrets of Playboy, describes pig nights as a sort of dinner party that served as a jumping off point for sex parties. So they would have a big lavish dinner with the hookers and celebrities at the table and then... As dinner ended, the hookers and the celebrities would pair off and go have a big orgy at the Playboy Mansion. Sounds like a disease ridden disease riddled, ridden fest to me. I would definitely say there are some cooties in the carpet at the Playboy Mansion. So, yeah being said, y'all have a good night. God bless y'all. Love you. Pray for each other. Um, be blessed my friends I tried to get a job at, at Netscape um, and uh, sent my resume and I tried hanging out in the lobby but I was too shy to talk to anyone and, uh, and then I was like okay well I guess I'll have to start a company because I can't get a job anywhere.